Welcome to the Tej Talks podcast. Forget the property celebrities. We speak to relatable people with fascinating journeys, just like you. Hosted by Tej Singh, we bring you new stories, life-changing deals, and expert advice every week. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Tej Talks. Today on the show is Claire Farrington. She has 42 HMOs, 12 vitalettes, and a couple rent to essays, and... She's just bought a huge care home facility that she's going to convert into, she's hoping, 45 beds as a HMO. 45 beds as a HMO. Crazy. I also asked her why you wouldn't want to have it as a block of flats, but she said HMOs are her family thing. It's what they do. So listen to this one. We're going to talk especially about HMOs, looking at certain areas, what things you need to do, the kind of tenants that she has, uh, and some top tips and some awesome books that you can also read. Uh, for anyone interested in, in how to start a podcast or anything to do with personal branding, or even if you want to invest with me, drop me a message. Honestly, Facebook, Instagram, wherever. I'm really, really like easy to talk to. I promise. Just a guy with a mic. Thanks. Claire, welcome to the Tej Talks podcast. Hello. You think you are the most prepared guest I've ever had on the show because um, no one can see you right now, but I have to tell everyone that you do have lots of things written down in lots of papers in front of you. So I like this this due diligence that you've done beforehand. Um, it's interesting how I came across you. I think you posted on a group. I don't think I'd ever seen you post before and you put the figures or was it the number of properties that you owned in your, in your business, in your family business. And I just thought what like that's a lot so I thought you know what let's get you one and then I met you um and then let's have a chat so for people who maybe don't know your story what was Claire doing bef- you know before you got into property hi Tej it's Claire here um yes I, I have a lot of answers to your questions prepared <laughs> ready <laughs> I always like to stay in control um yes yeah, my so my pre-property story I've I've been a little shy on social media. I've been doing property a long time now. Um, I've never been shy of, of hard work. I started working when I was 16 and then went to study IT at Sheffield Hallam Uni. And that while doing that, I held down three part-time jobs, um, although I found IT boring. And after, after uni came home and um, my dad said, well, why don't you get a job in a state agency? So I did. <laughs> Uh, found it exciting it's fast paced uh, and during that time when I left uni we were uh, in a market peak I could easily sell 13 houses a week wow um, yeah and, and at that time my my father he was doing very well buying buy to lets and uh, he persuaded me to to join the family business uh, at the same time he had his own business a furniture shop um, and their, their family have had that since 1925 uh, I helped him grow his portfolio by to lets and uh, fast forward a few years, babies, <laughs> a nasty divorce. I'm here alongside my sister as well and um, a team of staff. Wow. And so what, what moment did you stop helping dad or, or still helping dad then say, actually, I should kind of do this for myself because I can see the results of it? Uh, we, we still work together. We all we all have our own individual portfolios, and we also have um, businesses that we're all directors and shareholders in as well. So it's 
a collective of family businesses. <laughs> mm, okay. But then what, what took you out of being an estate agent to then get into business yourself? I think it was, I didn't know I'd been told what I could and couldn't do. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. Uh, yeah, I always wanted to push for more. And even working at the estate agents, I'd be there till seven, eight at night after everybody'd gone home because I really wanted the next deal. So, mm. yeah. Okay. And then what was the, if you can remember, what was the first property you ever bought for yourself? For myself, mm. I was probably about 23. I bought a flat, a maisonette um, to live in. But knowing my knowledge, uh, and at the time, it's about a good 10 plus years ago now, more than 10 years ago, <laughs> um, we, I was able to buy cash with with money lent from family do the works and then refinance all my money out so oh, okay and then you know from from that what is your portfolio of, of properties and i guess that includes your individual and your kind of families as well what does that look like right now we're in april 2019 okay so the portfolio now um as a, an amalgamation of everybody's portfolios, mine, my sister's, Farrington Properties Limited, Farrington Developments Limited, we have in total 42 HMOs units, 12 buy-to-lets, 4 SA, and three other properties we're currently in the process of purchasing. One of them is 12,000 square foot care home. The portfolio values in around 11 million combined in property. Wow. And... I mean, that, that's very impressive. And you know, the, the number of HMOs you have is is obviously the, the highest number that you have in your portfolio of a single thing. What made you and the business think, you know what, let's get lots of HMOs? What was the kind of rationale behind that? Um, I think when we, we first went into property, we, uh, we'd look at below market value deals, buy-to-lets. And at that time it was about 15 years ago, we, we did rent backs. That was before it was regulated, so we don't do that now. Um, we were really looking for, for cash flow for ourselves. Working as a family, there's more people to take money from the business than, than one person working on their own. So we wanted to look at high cash flow properties. And we, um, we found a, a course, I, I don't know if I want to say the name, um, it's a good course still, uh, in Wolverhampton on HMOs, that was a long back 2008, and uh, we never looked back. Wow! And so, do you buy all your HMOs in Wolverhampton? No, that's the course. Ah, okay. You probably know a big landlord from Wolverhampton area <laughs> um, <laughs> that does HMOs. Yeah, I'm trying to put two and two together. Okay, but then so you went on that course. That was that was great for you. Obviously, introduced you to HMOs. And so, where are your HMOs in the world? That we're all in the East Midlands. So we're all Bertrand Trent, Derby, Swaddlingcote, Tamworth, um, towards Nottingham. Okay. And what kind of tenants are you getting in those areas? Our tenants tend to be blue collar workers. Uh, th that's who we target. The Where we are from, there's not a lot of universities. I would tend to look at tenants with low working, low incomes. They are uh, factory workers uh, or people working on uh, lines uh, in warehouses. Yeah. 
Mm, okay. And then, so you, you've got 42 HMOs, you've got a couple of bytelets and a few essays. Now, how important do you think it is in general for investors to diversify their portfolio like you have? I think for us, it because we've been working in property for, for many years now, we didn't want to put all of our eggs into one basket. We and our area of expertise is HMOs and we love them all day long, but they're it's always worth looking at other property strategies. And and when it all became the hype um, a couple of years ago to do SA, the natural thing is to have a look into that. And um, we did some education on that and, and have the four essays up and running. We we haven't done any essays in the past year now, but it wouldn't put me off from doing any more. Mm, okay, so let's focus on HMOs then. So HMOs are seen by a lot of people, especially if you're you're new in property, as you know, like you correctly said, obviously high cash flowing. Um, you know, maybe a better chance of pulling some of your money out because you're adding quite a bit of value to a property. What are your if you're going to if I'm new in property and I'm like, okay, Claire, I want a HMO, how do I start? What do I look for in an area? What do I look for in a property? Give me like a HMO guide. It's, that's a really hard question. <laughs> <laughs> People always ask me that question and I have to turn it around and say, what type of tenants and how much money are you willing to spend as well? Uh, because I have mentioned that I take on blue collar workers and I know that that's how we're geared up in the office to manage those tenants or do you want to look at senior managers in in cities um, depending where you're buying as well do you want to look at DSS tenants or students um, there's a lot of questions to ask with HMOs it's not a one model fits all definitely not mm. Okay, so you're saying start with with what you want from the property, right? Like lay the foundation of what kind of tenants you're going to have, because then it'll it'll inform the rest of your decisions. Yes, I think you definitely need to. Okay. You definitely need to put a plan together, exactly how you want to do it, and who you want to target, who's your target market, what's your 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 area, your gold mine area, as they all say. And then you can work from that to find the perfect property. Mm. So I wouldn't go rushing in because you've been offered a good deal on a property. I wouldn't go rushing in to, to buy that property. And then a couple of months later, you buy a property in another area. And then you've got lots of different types of tenants going on. You've got some students. You've got some managers. You've got some blue-collar workers. You're just going to spend a lot of time managing lots of different types of tenants. Mm. Okay, so you've made your decision, you, you're going to go for a certain type of, of tenant, what, you know, how, and, and I guess this is a question I always ask, well, how do you know, and then the answer might be you don't know, that your HMO, once you've picked an area, is going to have the rooms filled, like how do you know there's a demand for it? I, I always do a little bit of market research myself, I will for a good month before, if I'm going to a brand new area that I don't know, at least a good month before, even, even not more than that, I will start to put some adverts out on spare rooms, on Rightmove, Zoopla, on um, Facebook. I'll spend the money to do that research and put some some adverts out there. 
coming soon HMO in your area and see what the calls are like or what's the the response to the adverts are like to get to gauge if there is demand in that area. Hmm. Okay, yeah, it's a good idea. I've done that before for for buy to lets. Might sound silly, but I've, I've done it before, and it it can definitely show you something about an area, especially if you know, you're brand new to it and you've never even been there before. So yeah, it's a solid idea. So let's say you've done that, you've you've bought the property. What are some of the things that you've learned? So with your HMOs, I'm assuming you buy them as like a buy to let, and you convert it into a HMO, or have you mm, have no. you bought them ready made? We, we have converted some of our own buy-to-lets into HMOs in the past. Now we, we tend to buy properties that we want to convert into HMO and then we will either buy cash or we will get bridging loan okay. on that property to completely renovate it to the way, the standards that we need. Now, now with licensing, you, you can't just buy a random house on the street and turn it into a HMO. There's different room sizes, kitchen layouts, everything you need now for licensing for HMO. You, it's, it's much easier to find a house and convert it into the standards that you need for that to be HMO. Hmm. Okay, so when you're doing these renovations, what are maybe some tips or some key learnings that you have from your experience that you could share with people who are maybe doing it for the first time? Um, tips for new people looking into HMOs. You you need to be a good negotiator, definitely. It's not just looking into HMOs, anybody looking to get into property. Buying houses is a negotiation. It's a sales technique and communication. You need to be able to have the gift of the gab to sweet talk the estate agents into finding you deals as well and having good marketing on the internet so you can get direct to vendor leads uh, and then from there you, you can find the ideal house that you need for a HMO. Also if you're every single council has their own guidelines on what a HMO should be so just don't take it for black and white a room needs to be this size or the kitchen needs to have two cookers or a sink in you need to have a look at, at all the different variants of that area to be able to get that HMO. Okay. And then what about when it comes to their renovation in particular? Is there any sort of tips or learnings from your renovations before? If you're new to renovations, I would... It depends if you're going to get a builder in or you want to project manage the works yourself. You're getting a builder in, um, do some quotes, take a look at their work, what they've done before, uh, to gauge them their quality. And some recommendations, I, I like to call some of their old customers and ask them. I even go around to their houses and have a look at their work to see whether they're going to be the right builder for us. And it's all about communication as well. If, if they answer the phone to you on a regular basis, you know, you're going to get on well with them. You never want a builder to go shy on you. Um, if you're deciding to project manage it yourself and get your own contractors in, um, the same, you'll, you, you'll have to check upon the work for the contractors as well. Uh, you, you just bear in mind that if you're going to project manage yourself, it's going to be a tough ride and you're going to be there every single day checking up on what they're doing, calling them, where are you? Why aren't you here yet? Mm. Yeah. Solid. And then I guess sort of just before that stage of actually getting them, how have you found good builders? I've had a lot of different builders. <laughs> <laughs> 
they, they, builders are good and we've, we've got some really good builders. It's always good to have two or three that you know you can call on because it did, with property mind, with property buying property, you probably know the deals all come at once. So you'll have two or three deals being renovated all at once, and then all of a sudden it goes dry again, and then they all come back in again like a bus. So you always need two or three good builders on your books, uh, but don't be don't be worried if a builder goes away and you have to find another one again. That's just what happens. Hmm. Okay, cool. So then you've got the HMOs, got the buy-to-lets, got the um, service accommodations. Now you mentioned before that you're buying a care home. Is that right? Tell me more about that. Yes, we're buying another care home. We do already have one that's full with tenants. Um, the 11th of this month, we went to auction in Derby on the SDL auction. It was excruciating bidding battle. Battle. <laughs> bidding battle um with about four other people we purchased it for 366,000 so I thought that was a good deal for what we got 12,000 square foot of care home wow okay and this is in the east midlands again yes in the east midlands yeah and what are you planning to do with it just run it as a care home again or you can convert it or no in in true farrington style it's going to be a big hmo Wow. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm going to try for 45 bedrooms split into clusters. Um, my planning consultant thinks I'll only get 40 from the council, but 40 is good. 40 rooms. Wow. That's probably the biggest I've, yeah, definitely one of the biggest I've heard of. And what makes you want to convert it into a HMO instead of, say, a block of like flats? I would say it's the gross development value and the, the costs to do the renovation. It, I, I don't think it would stack as flats. But saying that, HMOs is what we do and we love, so we know it inside and out. So for us, when we look at a building, I don't look at it as flats, I look at it as HMOs. Mm, okay. And then when it comes to the yeah. this, this care home deal you've bought – how much is it going to cost to convert it into the to the HMO you want? Okay, so including the purchase, we'll probably spend about 1.4 million in total. That's development, purchase, and all associated costs. Okay, yeah. and then what would the end GDV potentially look like? 2.2, 2.2 million. Uh, and, and I know that because I have experience with the other care home that we have. That's already 40 bedrooms and it's been full for a year now and that that had a valuation of two two million and fifty that one did wow that's uh and and that was about nine to ten square meters square foot foot. (laughs) (laughs) wow okay what a deal wow that's huge it's not for the faint-hearted not for the faint-hearted at all um the very first commercial deal we did was an office block four-story office block that's now 33 bedroom hmo that was the very first time i went from doing six bedroom or seven bed hmos to doing a commercial to resi deal and um i nearly passed out having a panic attack when we were trying to refinance at the end (laughs) but it was all good we all got refinanced I think I'm a pro now at it. <laughs> the, the amount of stress that I went through with the very first deal. Wow. And tell me more about that first deal. Why was it stressful? What kind of things can people expect to deal with that you have already? Um, 
for us, we've we, we done that many houses as HMOs. So when this this office conversion came up, we thought it's basically five HMOs in one space. What, what's the difference going to be? That there is a lot of difference with commercial conversions. Not not a lot, but you do need to go for a large tender stage with the builders. There's a lot more planning conditions to go through that we didn't expect. Um, you have to have noise surveys and pollution surveys and and, and so on with with this this property. We have to have um, acoustic glazing put in and um, vents, fresh air vents for the for the bedrooms on the front because it was fronting it's in the town centre fronting a main road. There was just so many different hurdles to overcome with with commercial terrazzo. Mm, okay and, you know a lot of people do say to me oh, i'd love to get into commercial terrazzo and I, I personally would as well at some point and from your experiences and obviously looking at those challenges you just mentioned what you know how can someone you know like you before you got into it get into commercial terrazzo are there any i don't know books courses things that they should do to kind of prepare themselves or should they just jump in I would never say no to courses. Uh, I'm a true believer in education. I, I still go on courses myself. I've still, I have still went on a land planning course last month. And there's always something to learn, no matter how much experience you have, because things, legislation and things do change over time. Uh, we never had any educational courses for our commercial to resi deal. Um, but we've got so much experience with builders doing the refurbishments on the the smaller HMOs and we've just got so much drive and determination so whatever the council threw at us or whatever the conversion threw at us we've just got to head down and, and dealt with it. Mm, okay cool um, and so you know a lot of these deals you said you've bought cash or you've bridged it so how have you financed the money you have had to put in has this been through yourselves and the businesses or has it been through investors? Um, we've always financed deals using the buy, refurbish, refinance model. It is a slower process. I mean, we've done, been doing this for a while now. Uh, it has, has helped going into commercial to resi because you can look at getting all your money back out and more. So that has helped us find the, the deals at the moment that we're doing. Uh, I've, I've got four deals on the go at the moment, just completing on. So my money has almost dried up they will all be in those deals uh, but then we'll look at refinance refinancing them out but and until I can refinance those out I have plenty of time on time on me now because these deals will be handed over to professionals that know what they're doing now so I I do want to help other investors on their journey so I, I can help source others and give a return on their loans as well the, the estate agents still call me every day with new deals they've got going and I so want to take them on but there's only so much money I have personally. <laughs> <laughs> okay so are you then going to go and find some investors to kind of take those deals on? Yes if, the, if there's anybody that's looking to invest in HMOs or even buy to lets or service accommodation have the experience to help them out. Okay awesome and you know, what are you doing next in property? What's on the horizon? I know you've got that big care home, but what are some of your, maybe your goals for 2019? 
2019 are even further our goals um, because we've been doing this for so long we just do it day in day out so next year will be exactly the same uh, we are we are true entrepreneurs though so we have a massive bucket list and it includes opening an estate agency we have our own lettings business that manages our own portfolio but possibly our lettings agents for for other landlords maybe starting a franchise from our name uh, building houses I've been on a land and planning course recently uh, sourcing for clients even who knows another furniture business hmm okay and you know so you have a lot of properties within the kind of business now you know property is, is named as a, a source of passive income how passive is your portfolio like realistically for me now it's not passive yet for me. Although for my parents, they haven't sat in the office for probably, well, my mother probably 10 years and my father probably five years. They they get to have a lot of nice holidays and sit at home now uh, that um, run their portfolio for them, me and my sister and, and the staff that we have. Although it is getting better for, for us now, me and my sister, we... We have the staff that project manage the properties for us and the lettings. Uh, we have a finance manager that deals with all the finance for us. So I get to view houses and buy houses for a living, which is pretty nice. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Even no, though it's exactly. not passive, it is, it is a nice job to have. Hmm, okay. And so do you think that it could be more passive? Like, Do you think that, for example... Other investors who are listening, who might, have, who are, you know, aiming to have a portfolio like you do, could have it a lot more passive if they just wanted to have this number and chill. Definitely, um, we decide. We're such control freaks, I and mean, I said that I've got all the answers to your questions out in front of me, uh, and that's why it's not so passive for us. I, I would say definitely because we like to be in control of everything that's going on. So it's never going to be a passive business for us because we're always going to want to know what's going on. That's why we set up our own letting agency with our own staff. We can con control all the procedures, uh, all the systems that are in place. So it can easily be a passive business for anybody that wants it to be, that is that will be happily give up and let an estate agency manage the properties for them. Of course it could be. Yeah. Okay, cool. And... Um... What are your thoughts on the market in your area? You know, a lot of people say, oh, you know, certain areas are saturated. You've got this happening, that happening. Like what in your kind of area, the East Midlands in particular, what, what are your thoughts? And again, it's a very broad question. So feel free to answer it however you like. Um, the, it's a tough one. It depends what property market you're in as well. Um, if you're going to provide to let's HMOs, SA, all depends on what area you're going to target because the East Midlands is very broad. Um, for, for for us and what um, where where we target and what tenants we target, there's always good opportunities to invest uh, in property. Um, we take all opportunities, uh, even we and we adapt to the market and the legal changes thrown at us. And we love the East Midlands. I mean, that's where I've grown up. So I, I know the areas, what good areas are to invest in and what, where it isn't good to invest in. Um, there's a lot of industry in the Midlands. There's a lot of warehouses um, around here, distribution warehouses for the rest of the UK. So there is a lot of employment. So I would say it's, it's always good to invest in an area where there is good employment because 
there is always a need then for rental accommodation. Hmm. Okay, cool. And we've now reached, uh, no, just for the quickfire round, my last question is, <laughs> what is a resource, platform, app, a bit of technology that you just can't live without? My phone. <laughs> I don't think I'd ever be able to live without my phone. <laughs> Simple. I like it. It's very true. The way we are these days, absolutely right. And our phones can do so much more than back when we were playing Snake on our Nokias. So, yeah, awesome. So now it's the quickfire round. So... What are the biggest three mistakes that you've made, Claire? Okay, so um, I, I talked a little bit about the commercial Terezi, the first one. Um, I would say on there, um, we didn't have the experience of tendering out to builders, I would say. So we chose the cheapest quote. I said that I think that is definitely um, a mistake is to is not necessarily take the cheapest quote, but to find the best builder that you, you think, but still works within your budget, but you think carry out the job. Um, there was just so many variations to the contract we had to pay for, so we didn't end up being the cheapest builder. And um, I ended up going near the end daily onto site and had all the telephone numbers for his contractors, and I would call them every day, where are you, what are you doing, and, and almost took over his job for him. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, you do you want some? Do you want some more? Go if you've got more, I'll happily hear them. Um, so you asked me for three three mistakes. I've I've got three mistakes for you. <laughs> <laughs> so another, we've been doing this business for a long time now. There's, there's lots of mis that I wouldn't say mistakes, but a lot of things that I've had to learn from, and we've got better and stronger from it. So, um, yeah, get a good, decent account system and accountant in place, especially for property. You can't just have any old accountant that's not that's going to know exactly how a property business works and account, an account system. Um, last year, about last April, we took on zero and we changed our accountants to Optimise in Nottingham. I'm so glad we did. It's the best decision. Um, now everything is is in the cloud on the internet. Wherever I go on my computer, my phone, I can get all the accounts up and have a look at cash flow forecasts of profit and loss if I need to. Before that, it's just on spreadsheets and piles of paperwork. It was an absolute nightmare. Mm, solid advice. I think those are little things like tax and accounting are something that we all want to be better at and we think we can do. And then it's like, nope, you see all the paperwork and, all the, and we're just like, nope. So yeah, Good idea, people. Get it outsourced, you know, as and when you can afford it or before that, totally up to up to people. But yeah, strong advice there. So then I guess sort of on the opposite to that, what are your top three tips for people who are new in property investment? Um, I would say you're, if you're new in property investment, in a way, you couldn't put a post on like I did saying how many properties I've got. Uh, you, you just need to be good. In yourself, I would say invest in yourself. You need to be a good salesperson. Uh, you need to be good at negotiation. And, and you need really good communication techniques. So I say invest in yourself as a person. Uh, pe uh, vendors, estate agents, bank managers, they're all people too. Uh, they want to work with people they feel comfortable in talking to. So read a lot of mindset books and sales books. I've probably read three or four times the book how to win friend win friends and influence people i love that one yeah that is a really really good book awesome 
And then I know we kind of touched on goals before. So I'm, I normally I'd ask what are your top three goals for the future, but because we've covered that, I'm going to ask you what are your top three books that people should read who are new or just anyone in business or property or, or any type of career life god i've read some books but i'm so busy with work i never get time to read a lot of books i've read that book a lot um i've read books like richard branson i've read the um the mindset, um, I can't remember what it's called, that it's like I've got a monkey on the front, and I love that one. I don't read a lot of property books. I, le- I read a lot of mindset and entrepreneurial books myself because I, I feel that it's always best to invest in yourself because then people will warm to you and, and you'll have that drive to be a better person and earn yourself more money. Hmm. Okay. Fair enough. And do you prefer audiobooks or physical books? Physi- physical books, yes. The, the last time I tried to read an audiobook, sorry, Rob Moore, I was on holiday <laughs> and I, I started to listen to his money book and I just kept falling asleep. <laughs> <laughs> Apologies, Rob Moore, if you're listening. I don't no, think nothing he is, wrong so with okay. the book, but I think you, trying to listen to an audiobook while you're on holiday on the Sun Lounger just doesn't work <laughs> yeah no i think it'd rather be sunning up than, than listening to someone and talk about money so no, I, I feel you and um if i said to you what is one thing that property has given you or allowed you t- to do or have what would you say it is i think working in property i enjoy it and i think it's just give me that self-satisfaction in a job that i work in what's not a job it's a lifestyle because the emails start at six in the morning and don't stop till I literally turn the phone off there's always something to do because there's always a deal to be made but I enjoy that because it's so exciting um and because it's part of the family business it's it's just a lifestyle for us so you don't see it as a chore or a job because that's just what we do okay Awesome. Well, Claire, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, if people want to get hold of you to have a chat or maybe learn more about what you're doing, what's the best way for them to get hold of you? If they want to get hold of me, uh, the probably best way is to find me on Facebook, Claire Farrington, and uh, send me a message. Awesome. Cool. Well, look, thank you so much for coming on, Claire. Thank you very much, Tej. It's been really good. Thank you very much. If you like this podcast, connect with Tej on Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube for more great content.